0: This week on Parents are Hard to Raise. What's causing family members of critically ill patients to show signs of PTSD? Could the use of canola oil be contributing to dementia? And why the decline in dementia rates for men in the UK? To parents are hard to raise, helping families grow older together without losing their minds. I'm elder care expert Diane Barardi. Thank you so much for all your emails. I'm trying to uh, get to as many as I can. And today um, I'm going to tell you about an email I got from Leanne from Aurora, Colorado. My dad was admitted to the hospital for pneumonia and a urinary tract infection. He developed sepsis and then was sent to the ICU. After recovery, we chose to bring him home instead of sending him to a rehab facility because he was so confused and so weak and tired, and we thought coming home, he would be home in a familiar, in familiar surroundings. My mom seems to have trouble remembering and is depressed as well. Both of them weren't forgetful or confused before he went into the hospital. My mom wasn't even the patient. Have you seen this before? Well, yes. Um, we had discussed, you know, uh, the elderly going into, into the hospital, um, but we didn't discuss the ICU or so much family members being affected so millions of patients are admitted to the ICU every year and the ICU is a scary place to be you know because there's so many um, all kinds of machines and tubes and equipment used to treat people's illnesses and you know there's even people who uh, need need to be put on a ventilator machine to help them breathe so it, it can be very scary to be, be there no matter who you are. So there's more people today, like your dad, that are surviving a critical illness. So they survive the illness, they survive being in the ICU, but they don't return to their original state of health. There's even a term for it, post-intensive care syndrome. And that's a condition that refers to health problems that remain after the critical illness. So these health problems they may be there while your dad's in the icu and they could still be there when he returns home and you know what type of problems are they they can involve the body so you easily notice this lasting muscle weakness and that also has a name icu acquired weakness and it could be also a problem with balance these are very common problems that occur 50% of all patients admitted with severe infections develop these problems, muscle weakness, these problems with balance, and up to 50% of patients who are in the ICU for at least a week also develop these problems with their body. So nearly all patients affected with ICU acquired weakness have symptoms that can persist, persist even years later. So what happens, it makes, you know, them have difficulty bathing or dressing or feeding themselves, even walking. The problems can also involve their mind, their thinking, and their judgment. They have trouble remembering, concentrating, paying attention, solving problems, or working on complex tasks. Thirty to eighty percent of patients leaving the ICU may have these problems. Now, some patients improve during the first year after discharge Others may never fully improve. They may never go back to how they were. They can also have trouble falling or staying asleep. They could have nightmares. They can feel depressed, anxious. They can even have symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. So what happens is they don't even want to talk about or think about their stay in the ICU. So what can you do to minimize post-intensive care syndrome? So while they're in the ICU, it's doing much of the same thing that we had talked about when they're in the hospital. You know, you want to keep your parent or your spouse, you want to keep them oriented. Talk to them about familiar things, people, events. Bring a newspaper into them every day. Um, Orient them to the day, the time, you know, put the news on, bring in their personal effects, bring in photos, familiar items, clocks from home, make sure they have their eyeglasses, their hearing aids. You know, if they can't read, if they can't read the paper, you read to them. What a great thing to do is to keep a journal for them, keep a diary. So, they may not remember certain things. You know, they don't even remember maybe how they got to the hospital or how they got into the ICU. So you can kind of, um, you know, when they're starting to feel better, you can go through everything with them. You can, and you may not remember unless you're journaling it and you're keeping a diary. And sometimes, you know, for them understanding what happened, it can clear up some things for them and reduce stress. Also, you want to ask, you know, their doctor, their nurse, um, how to help exercise your parent or your spouse. Exercising them keeps, you know, their joint and muscles active to help prevent weakness. And, um, you know, you want to be able to have them move their body as soon as they can. And moving also is good for the brain. If you can walk, You know, get them out of bed and walk them if you can. Now, when they're going home, you can also speak, you know, to their doctor about maybe they do need physical therapy. The physical therapist can work with them on moving and exercising parts of their body. Maybe they need occupational therapy. That can help them relearn skills and the use of their memory. It, you know, it it can help them, um, you know, with bathing and dressing. You can help them if if you know they're having problem problems with, you know, uh, certain tasks like um, balancing a checkbook. Occupational therapy can help them with that. Speech therapy, you know, of course, everybody just thinks that they help just um, learning, you know, to speak again, but they can also help them, you know, if they have problems in swallowing or also problems um, related to memory and attention. So you have to talk to their uh, care team, you know, in the ICU, they have a care team. Now, also, what can happen to you, your mom as a spouse, or you as a child of a person who has been in the ICU. You know, the critical illness of dad affects the family, but you don't think it would affect you in the same way that it may affect dad. But it can. You can also develop, or mom can develop, post-intensive care syndrome. And they they have it labeled, and they even, you know, if you read anything on it, it's, um, of course, abbreviated as PICS for the patient and PICS-F for the family. So it is something that's very real. And, you know, um, ICUs, hospitals are starting to pay more and more attention to it. You know, and how do you develop these symptoms or your mom? Well, you know, you might. she may not have understood what's going on. Maybe nobody's really communicating to her or communicating to her in a way that she understands. She's worried, she's confused, she's anxious. She may have had to make decisions that are overwhelming. She has, you know, a new role that she has to adjust to. It's a whole new situation, new responsibilities. So they they have found, studies have found that 70% of family members Suffer from anxiety when a patient has been in an ICU when a family member. 35% depression. 35% develop post traumatic stress disorder as well. So these negative effects can last possibly up to four months for uh, a spouse or a, a child. You can have, you know, physical problems as well as. This as anxiety, depression, you know, forgetting things, com- confused, worried, same thing as, you know, the patient. So of course you have to take care of yourself. That's obviously the first thing that we say. Mom had to take care of herself. You know, dad if dad is home now, of course, but in that whole course of dad being in the ICU you know, if, if if you have a parent who is in the ICU and, the, and their spouse, you have to say to them, you know, you have to take care of yourself because you, you know, you mom are part of dad's recovery team. You know, if they understand that a lot of people don't understand that there's definitely a link between, you know, dad recovering and mom being okay or you as a child being okay because you know if dad is home and he sees that what happened to him is affecting mom you know if she's depressed or she's tired or she's anxious or it is affecting you as a child he dad gets anxious and stressed and that affects his recovery so you have to um say to mom or yourself as a child, you have to ask questions, you have to ask questions of that team of professionals in the ICU that are helping, you know, because if you understand, you know, what's happening, if you understand what may happen when dad goes home, that helps reduce stress, understanding, helps reduce stress. So that diary and that journal is also going to help because you can say, geez, you know, dad, this happened to dad, why did that happen? So you have to have questions and you have to have answers to them that you understand. So I was saying the medical community is recognizing more and more the prevalence of, you know, this post-intensive care syndrome in families as well as in patients. So in families, you know, we find that the reason you are developing these these syndromes are because of poor communication and not understanding, and that can be a trigger for it. So you, as a family member, you know, your mom, yourself, you want to understand the illness, what happened, the path it's going to take, the prognosis, you know, and what you can do, what actions you have to take. So, and you have to think about, um, you know, professionals treating dad in the ICU, they sometimes, they can underestimate things that are a concern to you. You know, they don't realize all the things that are a concern to you because... You know, they have their function and they're not thinking of how it will affect you as a child or you, you know, your mom as a spouse. So, by asking questions and, you know, by alerting them to what you need to know, that helps them tell you and share information with you as, you know, family. So, I've put together a list of questions um, to ask while mom or dad is in the ICU and remember to have a journal and uh, I also will have the questions on our website so um, when we come back from the break I'll go through the questions for you I want to tell you about my friend Katie Katie is a nurse and she was attacked on her way home from work she was totally taken by surprise and although Katie is only five feet tall and 106 pounds she was easily able to drop her six-foot-four 250-pound attacker to his knees and get away unharmed Katie wasn't just lucky that day she was prepared in her pocketbook a harmless-looking lipstick which really contained a powerful man-stopping aerosol propellant it's not like it was in our grandmother's day today just going to and from work or to the mall can have tragic consequences The FBI says a violent crime is committed every 15 seconds in the United States, and a forcible rape happens every five minutes. And chances are, when something happens, no one will be around to help. It looks just like a lipstick, so no one will suspect a thing, which is important since experts say getting the jump on your attacker is all about the element of surprise. You're listening to Parents Are Hard to Raise. Now, thanks to our listeners, the most listened-to elder care broadcast the world over. And a very warm welcome to our new listeners from Stuttgart, Bremerhaven and Zurich. welcome. So I um, have this list of questions to ask while mom or or dad is in the ICU. And of course, you know, you may think of more pertaining to your parent. But, um, you know, ask, how, how is he? Will dad get through this? What are his chances of recovering? What is his progression expected to be like? How long will he be in the ICU? Is he in pain? When can he breathe on his own? What plans should be followed? Is he aware of what's happening? Will he be able to return to normal activities? What do I need to know to plan care for him properly when he gets home? What are his treatment options? Is there anything else that I can do? these are just some of the questions that you know you you can ask and um, make sure that you understand exactly what um, the nurse or doctor is telling you and if you don't you know you can say to them you know ask say I'm not sure what you mean by that or I don't understand because like I said sometimes sometimes professionals you know, talk in words, you know, that you're like, wait a minute, talk in English, you know, talking something I understand. They, they're telling you things that from a, a, a professional level as if talking to another professional. So you may not understand. Or maybe there's just part of it that you don't understand. Or maybe you think of something, you know, pertaining to your mom and or dad that you need to know. So check out the questions on our, our website. So, I found some interesting studies that I thought you might uh, like to hear one of one interesting study is um, from nor- done by Northwestern University. Close friends are linked to a sharper memory so this study is suggesting there 's a notable link between brain health and positive relationships. They spent nine years studying superagers and superagers are men and women over the age of 80 whose memory is as good or better than people in their 50s and 60s. So they really are super agers. And so every few years, um, they would have this group fill out surveys about their lives. Um, They get a battery of neuropsychological tests that have brain scans, neurological exams, and other evaluations. And these super agers were um, 31 older men and women with exceptional memories and they were mostly from Illinois and surrounding states and part of the goal of this study was to characterize them you know who are they what are they like now previous research had showed that super agers have distinct brain features but these particular scientists are saying that brain structure alone doesn't fully account for their mental sharpness so in this new study they asked these Uh, 31 super agers and 19 cognitively quote normal older adults to fill out a 42 item questionnaire about their psychological well-being and the super agers stood out in one area and that was the degree to which they said they have satisfying warm trusting relationships um other areas on the questionnaire were about purpose in life remaining independent and in those questions the superagers were answered just like their normal peers so the social relationships were really important to this group so these findings were consistent with other research that linked positive relationships to a reduced risk of cognitive decline mild cognitive impairment and dementia and they interviewed um um a male and a female superager and um the one particular superager she welcomes new residents to her retirement community and everyone says she always has a smile on her face and she said i try to learn someone's name as soon as i meet them and i always listen to what people have to say and one really uh, amazing thing that stood out to me was she said 15 years ago I was a caregiver for my husband who got sick and he died four years ago and but what she said was all the time that he was ill I was still doing things for me she said you can't just drop everything and then expect to be able to pick it up you can't drop your friends and expect them to be there when you are ready she said, and today, every day, I show people that I care. And when they interviewed um, the male super he said he realized that he had to be more open about his emotions. You know, he said men usually don't talk about their feelings. And I always kept things inside. He said, but I learned to open up to other people. And I learned that people, you know, when we open up, we learn that people aren't alone in the problems they're dealing with. Very interesting study. Another study that um, I found was with mice and canola oil. And this is kind of surprising what we found. Now, everybody, you know, you hear all about canola oil. It's a vegetable oil that's been appealing to us as consumers because, number one, it's less expensive than other vegetable oils. And it's always advertised as being healthy. But Dr. Domenico Pratico who is the director of the Alzheimer's Center at the Lewis Katz School of Medicine at Temple University, says very few studies have examined the claim that canola oil is healthy, especially in terms of brain health. So the study focused on memory impairment and the formation of the plaques and tangles in an Alzheimer's disease Mouse model, and you know um, you know we 've talked about characteristics of alzheimer 's disease are the buildup of the plaques and tangles of the misshapen proteins that lead to death of brain cells, so the plaques and tangles contribute to the dysfunction and the progressive memory loss in alzheimer 's disease, so they have um, this mouse model that mimics alzheimer 's in human in humans, so they progressing from asymptomatic phase in early life to the full-blown disease in older mice. So there was a previous study that used the same mouse model, but they used olive oil. And that study found that Alzheimer's mice fed a diet enriched with extra virgin olive oil had reduced levels of plaques and tangles and experienced memory improvement in mice. So they wanted to see in this study if canola oil is similarly beneficial to the brain. So they divided mice into two groups at six months old before there was any signs of Alzheimer's disease. And one group was fed a normal diet and the other group was fed a diet supplemented with about two tablespoons of canola oil per day. And they evaluated the mice at 12 months. And one of the first differences they observed was in body weight. So the mice on canola oil and on the canola oil enriched diet weighed significantly more than the mice on a regular diet. And then as far as the maze testing to gauge their working memory, their short-term memory, and their learning ability, that revealed even more differences. The canola oil eating mice had declines in their working memory. So then when they examined the brain tissue from each group, it showed that the canola oil eating mice had a great reduction in levels of this beta protein that is helpful to the brain and acts as a buffer against the more harmful proteins. So these mice showed an increase in the formation of these plaques and tangles in the brain that are associated with Alzheimer's disease. And they also showed extensive injury to the junctions between nerve cells, which play a role in memory formation and retrieval. So these findings suggest that long-term consumption of canola oil is not beneficial to the brain. Okay, in the next study I want to tell you about, oh yeah, my husband's not going to like this one. Older patients treated by female physicians tend to do better than those treated by male physicians. So public health research at Harvard found elderly patients are less likely to die or be readmitted to the hospital within 30 days if treated by female doctors rather than male doctors. The study doesn't explain why, but It points to previous studies that have found female doctors tend to spend more time with patients, they focus on the individual needs of patients, they communicate better, and they follow clinical guidelines more often than their male counterparts do. So, this Harvard study examined outcomes between 2011 and 2014 of Medicare beneficiaries on eight most common conditions in the elderly that are treated by general internists. And, you know, some of those um, conditions include sepsis, pneumonia, congestive heart failure, and acute renal failure. And So what they found was patients of female doctors had lower rates of mortality and readmission in all their conditions examined. So better communication has been linked to high rates of patient satisfaction, lower readmission rates, and better compliance to doctor recommendations. So nationwide, hospitals are working on improving physician communication with patients. And do we have time, Mr. Producer, for one more study? Okay, he's saying, yes, we do. So, this is very interesting. In the United Kingdom, they have seen a 20% fall in new cases of dementia over the past 20 years. So according to new research from the University of Cambridge, they have found that dementia incidence, which is a proportion of people developing dementia in a particular time period, across 20 years has dropped by 20%. And this fall is driven by a reduction in the incidence among men at all ages. So they're not sure why uh, the rates among men is declining faster than among women, but they're saying, well, it may be possibly due to a drop in smoking and vascular health improvements among men. So the findings suggest brain health improving in the United Kingdom across generations, particularly in men. The United Kingdom has seen major societal investments into improving their population's health, educating early and in midlife. um, They have health promotions, including smoking reduction, paying attention to diet and exercise. And, you know, that may be driving a reduction in the risk. They're finding support, a public health approach for dementia prevention and an increased awareness of a brain healthy lifestyle. So, here's my survival tip. I actually have two, (laughs) because we're going into a new year, so I'm going to treat you to two. Warmth has been found to induce a spirit of calmness. So think about how you feel sitting in front of a crackling fire. You feel calm and relaxed. The warmth of things has been associated with the warmth of feelings when it comes to the brain. And here, there's an Indian proverb that says that everyone is a house with four rooms, a physical, a mental, an emotional, and a spiritual room. Most of us tend to live in one room most of the time. But unless we go into every room every day, even if only to keep it aired, we are not a complete person. So in this new year, we have to do better about going into our four rooms every day and I want to wish you all all of our listeners and your families a very happy and healthy new year please like us on Facebook and please rate us on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play because doing that helps other people find our show And if this week's show was helpful to you, please let someone you know and tell them about it. They can subscribe to the show using iTunes. You can find links to the topics we talked about in today's episode in the show notes for episode 38 at org. I'm here to help you, so please tell me if there is something you're struggling with. Email me at Diane at org. You can reach me through my website, DianeBerardi.com. You can follow me on Facebook at Parents Are Hard to Raise, and I tweet at Jersey Care. Parents are hard to raise is a CounterThink Media production. The music used in this broadcast was managed by Cosmo Music LLC, New York, New York, under license of Broadcast Music, Incorporated. Thank you so much for listening. Happy New Year, and see you again next week. Happy Happy New Year. Year!